We are less than a week away from the dead period, June 27th for college football. So teams across the nation are scurrying toward uh, those last commits to get them in and, uh, of course, make their final impressions, at least for this section of recruiting for 2023. Welcome into Iowa Hawkeyes Live right here at the Voice of College Football, edition number 47. And the guy that, of course, makes this happen each and every week from the Hawkeye of the Storms, Corey Bratta. Corey, how you doing? Doing great, Mark. Uh, it's always a good day talking Iowa football. I know we've got Alec here. We're going to be talking uh, Illinois and kind of comparing these two programs and the the deep connections with Brett Bielema. And, um, of course, this is one of the, the uh, rivalries that nobody talks about. It should be a, a bigger rivalry. I think Brett has an opportunity to kind of revive that. But, no, I'm excited. Iowa got a commitment before we <laughs> came on the air from a guy who uh, – his, his intangibles are a little bit odd. Uh, we can talk about that maybe later, but he's six foot nine and he's still, you know, he's going into his senior year of high school. So I wonder what happens if he grows another inch or two. <laughs> That's my question. But uh, no, this is fun. I, I'm glad that uh, you and Alec, we, we're all making this happen. And I look forward to discussing Iowa football. Folks, you know the drill. Leave the comments and questions there in the live chat. We will get to them as we continue our opponents media series. We're bringing on a media member for uh, the entire Iowa schedule. This week, we got Alec Buxey on the line. You can join him right there on Illinois Rivals platform, Orange and Blue News. Alec, how are you doing today? Good, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, been a while, like last 36 hours. I was just on vacation, got back from Hawaii. Crazy travel plans with everything happening on the plane. We can get into it if you guys want me to. I was talking with the yeah. you guys before. It was one of the craziest things I think I've ever witnessed in my life, so. I, I think people want to hear it, don't you, Mark? All right, we can get into sure, it. So, sure. It's my plane's supposed to leave eight o'clock, I think, Sunday night from Maui. Everything's fine. Get on the plane. I'm in an exit row, four or five rows behind me, about an hour and a half into the flight. There's some sort of commotion, and the pilot comes over the speakers and goes, We got some sort of medical emergency. And I can see like flight attendants are kind of going behind me and take out my AirPods. I'm watching a movie or a documentary or whatever. And, I turn around and there's like a man like laying on the aisle of the airline. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. And then there's doctors, like passengers on the plane who are doctors and nurses are like running to this scene. One of them's a cardiologist. They end up having to get the defibrillators out after a little bit of time. He gets revived after I think I heard a few minutes of being out of it, like completely like he wasn't with us anymore on the plane. We end up turning around. Um, thankfully, he's revived. He's all right. Mm-hmm paramedics come get him off the plane when we land back um in honolulu but as we land something goes wrong on the runway tire pops on the plane they're like all right we're gonna have to replace this tire get you guys back on the plane we're gonna fly back over to at least lax we were supposed to go to dallas originally then like an hour and a half later they're like hey everyone uh yeah we don't have the supplies to change the tire so we can't fly you guys out tonight and we're like oh phenomenal so now we're stranded in hawaii and like of course there's much better places in the world to like not be stranded like everyone wants to be stranded in hawaii right but uh yeah we don't end up flying out until six o'clock p.m monday in hawaii land in dallas at like eight o'clock a.m which is just weird like time change hawaii to like continental united states is really weird to begin with uh so did like a red-eye flight and then i was able to get on another flight uh, close to St. Louis, which is where I'm from, got home, 
did some prep for this and now I'm ready to go and I'm <laughs> off vacation. And this is my first like journalistic responsibility coming back from vacation. <laughs> so everybody, if uh, Alec mispronounces a name or forgets the backup uh, right guard or, or whatever the case might be, please uh, cut him some slack here. Uh, Corey, I'm struggling for, well, I'm really not struggling for some kind of like really bad transitions from that, like Brett Bielema is <laughs> trying to revive the uh, Illinois oh, program yeah. or the, 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 uh, the Illinois offense, you know, had a flat tire, you know, last year, you know, there's, I, I think the first there. one, Brett Bielema is trying to revive the program because um, I, I'll just, I'll make the transition. Um, Alec, Mark and I have talked about this and we hesitate, we both hesitate to, use the term sleeping giant to describe what Illinois could be. But given the recruiting footprint, uh, Illinois, it would be on my probably top five in all of the power five for most underachieving programs uh, in the country this century. Um, you know, we know the, the vaunted Illinois defenses of the 20th century, but that, I mean, as far as a recruiting landscape, Brett Bielema, Lovey Smith had it as well. And he wasn't really able to really get over the hump. But I, I do think that the West, as it relates to coaching, is in as good of a position as it's ever been. And I don't think that's really up for debate. Mark, can we agree on that? The, 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 across the board, whether you're talking P.J. Fleck or yeah. Kirk or Ference or Brom, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's a – and then Pat – we're not even talking about Pat Fitzgerald, who might probably is the best coach, I, I, you know, right up there with, certainly with, with Kirk and I, I think P.J. Um, so what – how, how confident are Illini fans right now, uh, you know, having a year into this experiment with Brett? Um, is it a year now? Just He's yeah. only been there a year, correct? Yeah, for a year. My, my, my time frame messed up. Um, I know there was some attrition with the transfer portal, which I think is somewhat normal, especially this early into a guy's tenure there. I remember looking back at the the numbers early and I looked at Iowa compared to the rest of the big 10 and, and Illinois had lost a ton of guys and had gotten like nobody, which was a concern. Um, I was concerned about Iowa at the time because they hadn't, they hadn't really gotten anybody, but the difference is they hadn't really lost anybody either. And Illinois was in a weird position, but you explained to me before we went live that they kind of, Brett kind of takes a different approach to the portal. So how do Illini fans kind of perceive Illinois right now? Because of course they're going to, They've got a gauntlet playing in this division, and and I don't know what they're out of. I need to pull up their out of out of uh, um, division lineup as well. But uh, how do fans perceive the program at this point? I think that there's a cautious optimism. Like there's a positive energy about Illinois football that maybe didn't exist for a long time. I mean, I think you think back to like the 2019 four game win streak to kind of end the season. Not really end the season. They did lose the last couple games that year, but to go to a bowl game, I mean, that just kind of felt fugazi, I guess, a little bit. It felt like there was a lot of luck involved to beat the number six team in the country in Wisconsin, to have the largest comeback in school history, a 28-3 comeback on the road at Michigan State. Like, those are kind of lucky wins, right? And, like, those happen all the time in college football. But to have that happen twice in a span of four weeks is pretty lucky. Um, but Coach Bielema seems to do a really good job of just kind of communicating and being like a figurehead that Bobby Smith wasn't for Illinois fans, right? Like, He's out in the community. He's active on social media. He's always talking about family. And, you know, like this past week, they're posting videos on social media of the entire team playing paintball on the outdoor practice facility. Like he does things that make it feel like a college program, I think, for the players. And the players love him. They love his coaching staff. They just rave about the type of person he is. And 
that's not to say that they didn't do that stuff with Lovey Smith, but I think now it's just, it feels more like a college program to the players. And I think the fans kind of see that too, because they see that there's just more energy and it's more positive. And of course, like there's the things that come out last year during the season about what he said about the offensive line, which like was true and it was taken out of context, but like he is, in my opinion, doing a good job, at least in his first year, year and a half down on the job. And I understand they didn't go to a bowl game last year and they had two or three pretty frustrating losses, I think in the minds of a lot of fans um, and decisions to not go for it on fourth and short against Maryland and Purdue. And I think back-to-back weeks um, potentially cost Illinois back-to-back wins. And that obviously really hurt them. Um, But there was marked improvement based off what they did last year. That it was a team that routinely got blown out by teams across the big 10 with Lovey Smith. And last year they only got blown out twice. Um, They lost on the road early in the year to, a Virginia team that has a pretty explosive offense, Brennan Armstrong, he's coming back again this year. And Virginia does come to Champaign. It's a home and home. And then they also got blown out by Wisconsin, 24 to nothing in Champaign. Um, and that was one of their uglier offensive performances. And I don't think they actually gained over a hundred total yards in that game. And that game is one of the games I think that probably led to offensive coordinator, Tony Peterson being fired after just one year. Um, we can talk about that a little bit later too, if you guys want, but overall it felt like a pretty positive first year under Brett Bielman. I think there's some positive momentum going into the second season. And while like last year's recruiting class, the 2022 class wasn't the most highly ranked or highly touted in the country. You look at what he did with classes at Wisconsin, and it's kind of one of those situations where it's going to be a developmental program. It's going to be a lot of players are maybe three lower four stars. They're not going to recruit a lot of five stars or probably not going to land a lot of five stars, maybe even high four stars. That's just not something Illinois football is in a position to do, but he wants to find players, develop them with a staff that has a good track record of doing that, doing that and kind of model it guys after what Iowa has been able to do under Kirk Ferentz. And that's obviously where Brett Bielma learns his college football, um, I guess, form formulas. I mean, under Hayden Fry and then eventually Kirk Ferentz. I, I am curious. Um, has Tommy DeVito been named the starter as of right now? Yeah, he hasn't been named the starter officially, but I do expect him to be the starting quarterback. Okay. Art Zikowski is the other one who is going to be considered in that quarterback battle. I don't expect Ryan Johnson to be in that conversation, but Zikowski had to get two offseason surgeries, one on a broken wrist that he hurt at the end of that Penn State game, the one Illinois won. Um, and shoulder. The other one was a shoulder, right? Yeah. Well, he had to get a broken wrist, and then he also had to get shoulder surgery. Um, I believe it's for a torn labrum. Don't quote me on that. It was an injury. I, I, I'll I'll tell you. So I just, I don't want to interrupt you. But I just interviewed Tony Rassiopi yesterday, yeah. who's his private instructor, and he told me it was actually the labrum and the rotator cuff. So that's cool. yeah. So, yeah, I didn't know it was rotator cuff. Um, but yeah, he played through that all of last year. Didn't tell any of his teammates. The only coaches I knew, I'm pretty sure, were Bielma and the offensive. Um. So he'll have an opportunity to battle for it, but I do expect to beat up to win the job. So obviously that's going to be an interesting battle. And I know Tony is a huge Art Sitkowski fan, uh, understandably so, given that he's his, his private instructor. That makes sense. Um, I think Iowa fans, this is another one of those games that um, maybe I'm just a worrywart, but I look at the last two years and Iowa very easily could have lost uh, in 2020. At Illinois, I mean that was a game that I think. You're thinking 2019 in Iowa City. They got blown out in, in Champaign in 2020. 
Well, well, they got blown out. Well, they ended up getting blown out. But as I recall, uh, at halftime, Illinois was ahead, if I'm not mistaken. They might have been. They started that game up, I think, 14 nothing, And You're that right. just completely yeah. stalled. Yeah. They did. They did. And that's kind of what – that's kind of been Illinois' M.O. But last year, same thing. I mean, last year had Charlie Jones not popped off the kick return for a touchdown. I think it was in the second quarter. Uh, those games were – Iowa struggled, um, and there were times where Iowa struggled defensively against Illinois. Um, I do wonder, with Illinois' rushing attack, um, it, it's been one of the more underrated rushing attacks, not only in the Big Ten, but in the country for quite some time. And I do wonder, um, given Brett's track record, I think of back at his time at Wisconsin and some of the the wrinkles that he would show against Iowa, and I, I'm not saying that he's not going to show wrinkles against other teams because he did when he was at Wisconsin. I'm sure he'll do it again. But I do wonder if we're going to see something surprising, given the matchup of Brett versus his old team. Um, I think that's something that Iowa fans should expect. Your, just your thoughts on Brett and his imagination, maybe compared to a Lovey Smith. Well, I think it's kind of interesting. He didn't get a chance to coach against Iowa last year. He had tested right. positive for COVID, so he didn't make the trip to Iowa City. And I think – there's obviously an animosity between Illinois football fans and Iowa football fans, but I think it's more strongly on the Illinois basketball side with Iowa yeah. basketball fans, but there definitely is still like a disdain. And you said it pretty well earlier, um, an underrated rivalry, I feel like is a good way to say it for each program. I think that Bielema, especially on the offensive side, is getting more creative this offseason. With the hiring of Barry Lenny Jr., the new offensive coordinator, he comes to Illinois um, from UTSA. They had a really explosive offense down there. The Roadrunners did. They were obviously one of the better – group of five programs. I think they were undefeated until the last. I, Illinois found that out the hard way. Yes, right? they did. Jakari <laughs> Franklin tore them apart. Um, just to name a name, he was a receiver for them. And he hires Mary Lenny Jr., guy who has connections with dating back to their time at Arkansas. He was actually a tight ends coach at Bielma hired at Arkansas. And he runs a 10 pro offense. I don't Essentially, it's a pro style offense with tempo. Um, but they're also going to do some things in the no huddle, which is definitely something that you didn't see last year. Illinois do at all. Um, they were even under center a lot last year under Tony Peterson. And that's something that I don't think you're going to see very much maybe at all this year outside of certain packages, maybe goal line packages, fourth and goals, whatever it may be. Um, so you're kind of looking at with coach Bielma, a maybe a modernization of what he wants to do offensively. And I think that's something that's needed. You kind of look at what a lot of the more successful offenses are doing not just in the Big Ten, but also across the entire country. I think it's really hard, especially in Illinois' case. They're trying to model themselves off of Iowa and Wisconsin. It's hard to beat Iowa and Wisconsin at Iowa and Wisconsin's own game, right? Like, they've been doing that for 20, 30 years at this point in each program's case. And I think what Bielma is trying to do now is find the players, develop them, on speaking on the offensive side of the ball, but put them in a position to maybe modernize the offense a little bit speed the game up a little bit, play with a little bit of maybe spread principles at times, but also still have those pro-style principles that you have come to know with Brett Bielema and his time as a college head coach. Mark, you're a big Brett Bielema fan. you have anything to add to this conversation? I know you're a big Brett Bielema fan because I recall a discussion you and I had, I want to say summer of 2021, just discussing him at Illinois and and – I remember coming onto the show for some reason this stands out. I, I made a comment about how Brett really didn't get it done down at Arkansas and you, you came to his defense. 
just your your take on uh on on Bielema. Yeah, I did. Um of course a difficult situation um playing in that division with what he took over and uh he had it all moving in the right direction for a long time there before um it it turned uh, ugly on him and really it was one bad season that got him fired you know he was only one year removed from seven and five and Arkansas went in another direction and that was not a good direction for the next three or four years but now they're in a different place um what I found interesting about what uh Bielema had to say once he got the Illinois job Alec was that um you know he certainly had his core values from a football standpoint uh, core values in the running game and tough mindedness and all those things we we um, we see from Brett Bielema and have through his Wisconsin and Arkansas um, experiences, but that he learned a lot going to the NFL and realized that football had changed and that he you could still uh, bring a lot of those foundational values, but you needed to adapt. Um, do, do you see that happening in the program and with the offense in particular? Yeah, he talks a lot about how much he learned from Coach Belichick with the Patriots. He was only on that staff for a year or two, but he did win a Super Bowl there. He does have a Super Bowl ring, which is pretty cool, obviously. Um, he does. He did. He talks a lot about that and that learning experience and how he's brought a lot of that to college. Um, and I think one area that you really see that, and this is a year and a half removed now, when he first came to Illinois and he was building – the staff, not just the coaching staff, but the entire like support staff. When you talk about the recruiting staff and just other positions on the staff, he hired a high school relations coach or a high school relations person. Um, and that person is Pat Ryan. He's a legendary high school coach in the state of Illinois. And that essentially Ryan's goal is main job is to just develop relationships with high school coaches across the state of Illinois. And Bielema's biggest thing since he came to Illinois is in-state recruiting. We want to own the state, um, put a fence around the state. And he's – because that's what Lovey Smith didn't do. I mean, it's pretty famous in 2020. Illinois didn't sign a single player from the state of Illinois. And for Illinois to be successful in Coach Bielema's eyes, they need to be able to recruit the state really well and have a lot of the principles of Illinois high school football players within their program. Um, so I think you've seen a lot of that in terms of the way – Coach Ryan has kind of helped build that. But then you also see him have a recruiting position designed mostly for in-state, but then they also have someone who just scours the portal all the time. And then they have your traditional director of recruiting. And then they also have a director of pro relations. Like they have all of these different spots and all of these different roles. And I'm not trying to compare him to Nick Saban because that's definitely not like an apt comparison to make for what they both accomplished on the field. But think back to like what Nick Saban did when he got to Alabama and kind of like the early part of the 2010s, right? Like he hires all these analysts and all these analysts aren't getting paid a whole lot of money, but they allow the coaches on the staff to not have to handle as much like the dirty work. That's maybe not as important. And these analysts are able to learn all these different things. And then they turn into guys like Billy Napier, right? Like, and the guys that Bielema is hiring aren't going to do the same thing, but they're hired. They're hired in roles that allow the assistant coaches and him to focus more on the things that they need to focus on, whether that's recruiting, whether that's game day preparation, whether that's actually coaching in a game or building relationships with the players. Like those are all things that these different people on the staff are allowed to do. And in terms of what he's learned offensively, I think it kind of goes back a lot to 
what he learned last year at Illinois in his first year. I think he came in, he wanted to try and do a lot of the same things that he did at Wisconsin, what Iowa has kind of done for a long time with Tony Peterson, a guy he had a relationship with dating back to when Peterson was the offensive coordinator, co-offensive coordinator at Minnesota when they were one of the more potent rushing attacks in the Big Ten around the mid-2000s era. Um, you kind of look at a thing here where Gilmer realized that didn't work, and he completely changed it. And it's rare to see a head coach fire an offensive coordinator after just one season and not only do that, but to do it when it's a full-scale rebuild of the program. And he's been open in saying that, and what his goal is to sustain success. Like, he needs to make Illinois that. That's what he needs to do in his eyes. That's athletic director Josh Whitman's goal. And he believes that, like, this new offensive coordinator and this new scheme is going to better set them up to be more successful consistently on offense and take a lot of the pressure off of the defense, which made huge strides last year and the first year of Ryan, under the first year of Ryan Walters. I will say this, the schedule for Illinois, um, I would say it's more difficult opening up than Iowa's is. Um, you get that same Virginia team. You get, I know Indiana was dreadful last year, but you know, you have to go on the road. I expect that. I expect the Hoosiers to be, better with Connor Baslack and um yeah. you know Wyoming is dealing with weird issues as well um I don't know that I am qualified enough to speak on their their problems but um, I do think they, they're they going to be battle tested heading into the Iowa game I think Iowa on the schedule for them coming off the Michigan game who knows when that game's going to be played we've seen Iowa um I don't want to call them hangovers I think of the 2017 game against Ohio State where Iowa just dominates at home, and then they run into a buzzsaw. They don't score a single point offensively at Illinois the very next week. So I'm not saying that's going to happen here. Um, but I will say this. You brought up something, Alec, about Brett Bielema and Illinois not trying to necessarily beat Iowa and Wisconsin at their own game. If if anybody's going to do it, it might be Brett, though, because he – Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. He, he, bas- he did that a lot at Wisconsin against the Hawks. So – yeah, it, it, you may not be able to do it this year. I think you're right. I think that, that in my opinion, that's the right approach. You're going to have to develop these guys over the course of several years, especially if you're trying to develop kids out of high school. So you may have to win different ways your first year, two, or even three. So I think that's going to be fascinating to see the wrinkles because I do expect to see some of those wrinkles in this game. Um, I will say this, just add in, and if there's anything else from Mark and, uh, or, you know, we can let him, we can let Alex slide, but, um, Iowa did just get a commitment today from Cannon Leonard. I brought him up earlier, right up the road from Champaign. And I know Illinois was in on him, did not offer, but he just committed to Iowa. Just thoughts on that, Alec. And I'm, are you surprised at all that Illinois didn't offer? Iowa was the only power five to offer. Yeah. I think they actually got in with an offer over the weekend. I could be wrong. They did. Okay. I could be wrong there. I know they showed interest. They actually signed his older brother, Clayton Leonard, who isn't as highly touted of a prospect. And you were talking maybe a little bit before the show, right as we started, um, that Clayton's little brother, Cannon, um, is about six foot nine. Um, yeah. And that's obviously something that was really attractive to Illinois, especially a tackle. And he's a 2024 prospect, correct? Three. He's 23. Okay, so he's a 2023 prospect. So I think one of the reasons why Illinois probably didn't show a whole lot of interest um, in this was largely – because they've already kind of filled up on what they're looking for in the offensive line uh, in the 2023 class. And that's just kind of one of those things where you only have so many bodies that you can take. And even though the NCAA kind of has given relief on this new thing with not just 85 and there's not the 25 limit, 
but they've already taken a few offensive linemen. They've taken TJ McMillan. He's a center, probably going to be a starter for Illinois for a few years. I'm pretty high on him. Um, and then they've also taken a few others in Zachary Amlin. He's someone from New Jersey. They t- took Rico Jackson. And there's another kid um, down from East St. Louis. That's an area where Illinois really wants to recruit harder um, down there. One of the more talented programs in the entire state. I don't know how well-versed you guys are in East St. Louis football, but it's a pretty talented program. Uh they have a prospect that Illinois would probably end up taking another offensive lineman for because they want to build relationships with that program. But when you think about the idea of passing on Leonard or maybe not pushing as hard for Leonard, it might have been a situation where they felt like they had other prospects higher on their board. And like you kind of said earlier, there's a rawness to that. Yeah, he's got the size, but he maybe doesn't have the weight that they're looking for on the offensive line. Illinois is really trying to get big on the offensive line. Think Wisconsin when it comes to what Illinois wants to be on the offensive line. Minnesota, Minnesota, Minnesota too. That's a really good. Yeah, Minnesota's offensive line last year was one of the <laughs> largest groups of people I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, and I think it's one of those things where you can only take so many people. And while right. offensive line is really important, and that's what Brett Bielma was kind of largely known for in his tenure, the decision to maybe not push there might have been also just because they felt Iowa was going to get him all along. I mean, there's one of those situations where sometimes. Other schools don't offer. Um, I don't have a lot of direct insight on that specific recruitment, but I know that his older brother, Clayton, is someone that they kind of view as maybe a little bit more of a project, and they've already got a, other eyes in this offensive line class. But I, I, it's hard to pass on six foot nine, um, a tackle, right? Like that's that's always impressive. <laughs> and I'll just say this: um, I, I said I, I said it at the outset, and I'm sure once you get off, Alec, we'll we'll probably dive into this more, but. What happens if he grows two inches more? I mean, I don't think that's that's likely, but I'm just saying he's like or even an inch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, are we seriously going to play a six foot ten tackle, Mark? <laughs> I mean, just, I'd be concerned about. I mean, seriously, I'd be concerned about that because that's out of your control. Unless unless they have reason to believe, even if he's not grown for the last year, and I don't know his history because I'm dove into it as much as I probably should. I, I don't know. It's a it's a weird one. And then obviously Iowa fans know that uh, they're in the top two for Caden Proctor. So you could potentially have Proctor's, I think, six, seven, six, eight, somewhere in there. You could potentially have, you know, a couple guys who are six, eight, six, nine um, coming in at tackle in 23. But uh, anything else for Alec, Mark, before we let him slide? Well, I've got one other thing. And uh, speaking of Minnesota, Alex mentioned their, you know, offensive line. I cannot. Uh, recall the, the 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 player's name that had played very little football that was recruited and signed by Minnesota and turned out to be an all big ten player uh at six nine uh for Minnesota just a mammoth human being over <laughs> four hundred pounds. Uh so so yes it's possible. Uh Alec the last thing I'll hit you with is by my evaluation Illinois and Brett Bielema's first year was highly successful for that team to go four and five in a strong conference, uh, five and seven overall to, to beat Penn state. They had a bad year. They had an off year, but still they have a top 10 talented roster in the nation. They beat Penn state. They beat a Minnesota team that went nine and four, you know, they blow out their rival at the end of the year. They beat Nebraska. Who's, considered by most to be on paper a much better team than Illinois. I just thought it was a remarkable season, even though, yes, the the passing offense made it look extremely 
ugly and brutal at times. It was tough to watch Illinois try to eke out a first down at times, but the bottom line was four impressive wins there. And however, coming out of that success on the field, you talked about the recruiting and yeah, it's a developmental program. And that's what the big 10 West is top to bottom, basically. And the success that Minnesota and Iowa and, and others now have achieved is, is you take top 35 to 40 recruiting classes and you build them into top 15 teams. But this recruiting class, the numbers are large with 26 and I'm talking about the 22 class didn't sign a player. And this, this hit me across the face when I was watching the big 10 networks coverage of national signing day. And they were, you know, reviewing all the, and you see all the, the classes lined up against each other. And you see where this is by far from a metric standpoint, the worst class in the big 10. It's not a great class, but I think it's a decent foundational class with certain guys that they were able to land. Um, just like it, just to name a few, um, Aiden Lawfrey, that was a big win for Illinois. They won him over Iowa. That's something that Illinois needs to kind of do on a more consistent basis with players. Jared Beatty is someone that they're really high on, an outside linebacker. They believe he can potentially be an NFL player. They're also really high on another outside linebacker they signed in this class, uh, Gabe, ha- Gabe Hawkins, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Both of those two outside linebackers were pursued pretty heavily by Tennessee, um, approaching the early signing period in December. Uh, so that those are both three pretty big wins, but then there's also um, some developmental prospects that didn't have a whole lot of power five offers, especially on the offensive line um, with guys like Joey Okla. Uh, Mountis Moeller is a really interesting prospect. He's also six, eight, six, nine. He's from Denmark. He's an offensive tackle. He, uh, he was kind of found, Somehow they weren't planning to take another offensive lineman and Bart Miller, Illinois offensive line coach saw enough of him to kind of want to mold him and bring him in. But then there's also some other interesting prospects on the offensive line, Hunter Whitenack, someone that coach Bielma is really going to like same with Joey Oklahoma. Those are two like really good prospects in terms of building a culture. And I think that's a lot of times what you want to do in your first class, your first full class, but they did get two intriguing offensive linemen on the transfer front or Juco front. Um, and Isaiah Adams, he's from Garden City Community College out in Kansas. Viewers might know, or you guys might know him from, uh, not know him, but know that school from Last Chance U, season three and four. Um, and then they got another one who's really interesting in Zach Chrysler. Chrysler might have a higher ceiling. He just might need to lose a little bit of weight. He's really physical. He's really aggressive offensive lineman. Can play guard or tackle. Same with Adams. But yeah, it's definitely not like the most eye-opening class where you're going to look at it and be like, wow, that is a great class. That is an awesome first class for Illinois. Uh, but there's pieces in this class that you feel like you can build off of. Sean Miller's another one at wide receiver who probably is going to contribute a lot this year as a freshman. Um, a lot of that might have to do with the fact that Illinois' wide receiver room is still one of the worst in the Power Five in the entire country. Um, but there's other developmental guys that they think could be talented at wide receiver. Ian Pugh just needs to put on a little bit of weight but could be a good player for them down the years at wide receiver. Um, and another in-state kid, uh, Jordan Anderson is one of the most, I mean, you think like Brett Bielma running back, there you go. I mean, the kid's like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, weighs a good 220 pounds. If you want to watch him run over people on his huddle film, you won't get tired of it because it just keeps happening over and over. John and over Clay, again. John Clay-esque. Yes, very John Clay-esque. Um, but he's got some speed to him as well. I'm big on Jordan Anderson. I think he's got the potential to be a really good player. And Lawfrey's kind of like, that speedy lightning quick guy. 
that they're really high on. It's just a really interesting class. Um, the quarterback in the class is Donovan Leary. He comes from New Jersey. And the interesting aspect with that is, yeah, he's a Bielema quarterback recruit and signee, but he's not a Barry Lunny signee at quarterback. So is is that Lunny's guy? We don't really know yet. Um, I think Lunny's probably going to end up in the portal again in a year from now um, for another quarterback. And I guess maybe I'll leave it with you guys on this. If Illinois football is going to take the next step from a team that hovers around six and six, um, under six and six, struggling to get to bowl games, and quite frankly, getting to bowl games shouldn't be as hard as Illinois has made it look in the 21st century and over the last decade, to be more specific. They need to find a stable quarterback. Um, they've basically gone the transfer market for quarterbacks since Nate Shieldhouse left the program in 2013. That's we're pushing a decade on transfer quarterbacks and and they've also just dealt with health problems right brandon yeah. peters couldn't stay healthy sitkowski's i mean they just can't stay healthy at the position yeah west Lunt, another guy who couldn't stay healthy they had a quarterback retire and chase crouch because of injuries and now crouch wasn't very good um but still like to have that happen um it's it's tough to be successful in a college program we don't have stable quarterback play and a lot of that comes from a lot of the co- head coaching turnover they've always had in the last decade and offensive coordinator turnover they've had too but if they can find a quarterback and this is goes for every program, right? Like their floor just elevates a lot. And while DeVito could get them to a bowl game this year, you know, he's only got one more year of eligibility. So the ceiling of Illinois football is not high right now, but it seems to be going up based off of what Bill has done. But if he's able to get the right quarterback in situation, the offense takes some steps this year. I think a bowl game's possible, um, but I don't think it's something I would guarantee. I think I would closer to five and seven, four and eight again this year. Alec Bussey, Illinois Rivals there, uh, Orange and Blue News platform. Alec, we appreciate you stopping by, and uh, thank you for the breakdown on the Illini. Thank you. Travels in the future. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Good luck with the rest of the show. Appreciate it, sir. That was fun. I enjoyed that, Mark. Um, I'm glad that uh, the individual who nearly died on the plane is okay. That's good to know. Uh, it's crazy here. Uh, what happens in this world that we <laughs> you never hear about, right? Um, so I know we got about 20 minutes. Do we want to dive into first of all? Th- I, I should, can we thank? Can I go through yeah, and absolutely. thank? Absolutely, yeah. I wanted the, to get uh, to these uh, super chats. So we've got three of them, Erica. Thank you so much for your contribution, Tim, as well. USC fan contributing to the Iowa channel. Thank you, Tim, for that. We appreciate that. And again, Erica, you're great, you're always here. Thank you so much for that. Lemansky, we appreciate it. Corey, you are on a content roll. We may want to look up the spelling of roll, but that's okay. You you have a role, Corey, as a Lemansky content creator, and you are also on a roll. So we'll take <laughs> that's it. That's right. <laughs> Mark's going to pat you on the back. Am I? Am I really? Lemansky's uh, urging me to pat you on the black on the back here. Illinois is capable of giving Hawks a game if Brett can improve his line play. Well, Lemansky, you are patting Corey on the back, and he well deserves it. Uh, so I will allow you to do that. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, listen, Illinois, they've, like I said, they have, I know Alec didn't really act like they did. That 2020 game was was very close until the second half. And, oh, I looked it up. Sure, it was 14-13 at halftime. Yeah, and and last year... Again, Iowa needed to come. It did not feel like I was going to win that game last year. Um, so yeah. I, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is you can't overlook any of these games. And nope. with with the coaching 
boost that they've gotten. And I do think it's a coaching boost going from and I respect Lovey Smith. I think he's a great person from everything I know. I know Don Patterson knows Lovey and has spoken very highly of him, but um, I think Brett's a better coach. I think he's a, he's better for that situation. Um, I think he's being a, a nat, more of a natural recruiter than Lovey. I think he's, he's got the ability to make that a very respectable program, which should scare Iowa fans. Cause somebody has got to be bad, right? Somebody has to be bad. And I don't know that Pat Fitzgerald's just going to be willing to, you know, except, oh, well, I guess we're three and nine every year. I, I don't think that's going to happen. And unless we think Nebraska is just going to continue wallowing in, in slop for years, somebody's got, it's, it's something's going to change. And I hope it's not Iowa that has to take its time there at the bottom. But there's just a great, a great division. Everybody wants to think that the Big Ten West is kind of the crappy division. It, it's just not what the Big Ten East is. But it's, as we've talked about, Mark, it's maybe the most balanced division in college football. I love it. I love it. And it's not balanced mediocre. It's balanced with Good. a lot of top 15 to 40 teams. Yeah. Uh, and and that, that I think is, I, I'm intrigued by the uh, Big Ten Western Division. And, and the teams that scare me, Mark, not that the yeah. other teams, not the obviously I'm, they could lose to Wisconsin, they could lose to Minnesota, but the teams that are kind of sneaky scary are the teams that aren't even in the mix there. Illinois, Nebraska, and Northwestern. Like those teams all could beat you. Um, I could see Nebraska finishing top two or top three in the division. Not saying they will, but I could see it happening. Um, I was nearly lost to Illinois. It seems like every other year they lose to Northwestern. Um, I mean, even that game last year against Northwestern, that was not, oh, it was not like a dominant performance from <laughs> Iowa, and Northwestern was terrible. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess my point is Northwestern had the ball to win the game yes. near the red zone at I the know. end of the game. I know. And, so Iowa, I looked back at Iowa's schedule the other day, Mark, and I didn't realize how many close games they were in. It's like every week they were playing. Listen, you're 10 and two and everyone wants to celebrate. And I was celebrating. Don't get me wrong, but they were like, they were like the opposite of Nebraska. Like yes. they were playing close games and winning them. Nebraska was playing cl- close games and, and, and losing. There's a very fine line, Right. Yeah. college football yeah and i'm not you know there is a, something to be said for being able to win close games i'm not taking that away from mm-hmm. kirk and this it's a this skill team. Sure. it's a skill definitely and not everybody has it certainly scott frost doesn't but the schedule gets tougher we keep saying yeah. this and illinois is not going to be a pushover in champagne and there is some randomness to it it's like turnovers yeah. iowa has proven through the years that they're not a mistake in no. terms of their excellence in creating turnovers but there is a element of randomness to a certain extent in turnovers and in close wins in Nebraska. It's going to be fascinating to see Nebraska is the most fascinating team to me in the division, just because of how they played last year, but continued to find a way to lose. And their Ohio state, Michigan, Michigan state becomes Michigan, Indiana Rutgers. But doesn't it freak you out a little bit, Mark, that, we, we already know Minnesota, Purdue, Iowa, and Wisconsin are in position to compete for the division. But then doesn't it also kind of freak you out that the two teams that no one's talking about is Illinois, who's got Brett Bielema as their head coach. And again, I know that he hasn't had a lot of time to recruit yet. And then maybe the best coach in the Big Ten and Pat Fitzgerald, like that always yeah. throw, like he's all, he's all, he's the guy that goes from three and nine to, to nine and three routinely. So yeah. 
that that is a little bit freaky. <laughs> I just I'm not saying it's going to happen. I think there's a better chance that Northwestern can we both agree there's a much better chance still, despite his track record, that Northwestern goes three and nine this year than nine and three, given their talent level. Yeah, that's that's a high leap, even though they've done it a couple times, as you mentioned, against how good the rest of the divisions become. Yeah, and I just don't know who from a skill at some point. Right. As our friend Steve Dace says, sometimes the Jimmies and Joes beat the X's and O's. Right. Yeah. And I don't know that they have the Jimmies and Joes. But um, anyways, no, thank you to all the super chats. Appreciate that. And thank you to Alec. Uh, glad that we were able to make that happen. Hopefully we'll have him back uh, game week uh, in October. Steve and I just had a rock'em sock'em segment there on Michigan podcast. So folks check that out because I, I came emblazoned in scarlet and gray this week. I typically don't do that, but uh, (laughs) I typically am very measured and neutral, but uh, yeah. Uh, Big 10 quarterback rankings. I'm, I'm working feverishly on those crap. Spencer Petrus. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Tommy DeVito, speaking of Illinois, had a really nice season with Syracuse's one starting year, 19 touchdowns, five picks. Yes. Nobody's talking about him. I'm telling you the big 10 was not very good. I remember me saying this all last year, Mark, last year was the year of the wide receiver in the big 10 conference, right? With David Bell and Fry Fogle. And I mean, just everybody that Ohio state throws out there. And then you look at, quarterback and it was kind of a down year i think maybe that changes this year i think connor basilak i'm not saying he's going to be a superstar at indiana but i think he's going to give them a boost tanner morgan you know it's now or never for him um certainly cj stroud and uh you know we'll see the michigan quarterback battle is interesting but devito's a guy nobody's talking about and uh yeah i mean it does. So Alec kind of has the opposite perspective of someone like me or an Iowa fan who has been calling for Kirk and Iowa to go to the portal at quarterback. And he's like, we got to do something other than go to the portal at quarterback. So it's interesting. And I, I, I did have that discussion last night. If anybody missed the show with Tony Rassiopi, head over to From the Hawkeye of the Storm. It's also on our podcast. So check out that Hawkeye Hangout edition. But uh, he talked about Art Sikowski with me after the show. And I do find that interesting. Um, Art Sitkowski has dealt with so much from an injury perspective that, you know, Tony, again, he Art's Tony's guy, just like Spencer is Tony's guy. But it'll be interesting to see if, you know, regardless of who starts, I would expect, if, assuming both DeVito and, and Sitkowski are healthy, it's not going to be like the Peters-Sitkowski uh, battle because those guys couldn't stay healthy. So both these guys can stay healthy. They're going to push each other. Um, and both their clocks are ticking now. I mean, DeVito's got one year. I think maybe Sitkowski's got a couple of years left at least, but uh, it will be intriguing to see uh, what happens there at quarterback. Uh, I feel like we should probably bring up the uh, Caden Proctor news that we got uh, over the past week, Mark, because that's kind of what, what Iowa fans have on their minds right now. He did cancel some official visits he had scheduled, including a visit to Penn State in September basically stating that he wanted to focus on his senior year of high school football, which tells me he did, he did schedule an Iowa visit. So he didn't have an official Iowa visit prior to this. Um, although he had taken like a dozen unofficials in the past, but he did schedule an official Iowa visit to replace the visits. He canceled that is happening this weekend. Um, I, I see this a couple different ways and I haven't produced anything on my channel as far as content reacting to this news yet, but I do wonder, um, 
does this mean that he went to Alabama and they sold it to him and, and he's just keeping eye, you know, guys will do that. And I saw somebody respond on Twitter like, Oh, that'd be a low move on his part to throw Iowa in the mix at the end. I, I don't look at it that way. A lot of homegrown kids that leave, whether we're talking basketball or football, will keep that hometown school in their top five, in their top three, and even in their top two as almost not, not any, not toying with emotion, with the fans, you know, emotions, but as kind of a, a line of respect, um, a symbol of respect or, or gratitude, I guess. Uh, that's kind of how I look at it. And I am not saying that Caden Proctor is going to Alabama. I don't know that. But I'm just saying, if he does, I hope people don't say, well, why did we even make his top two? I think it prob- I think that's probably realistic that he probably is down to Alabama and Iowa. Um, I-, I don't know who else would would there have been no reason for him to do that. He could have kept you know, Michigan in the top three had he decided to, to do that. Now, he canceled the visit to Michigan, so I, I'm guessing that he didn't have them even close there. But um, So it could be that, that he he was sold when he went down there and he's, he's a, you know, he's uh, going to be part of the Crimson Tide, or um, he might be sold on Iowa. And he made a, went down to, down to Alabama and said, this doesn't, doesn't feel like home. I know where home is. I, I love my teammate, Xavier Wampa. I want to play with him. So, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eliminate everyone else. I'm going to just cancel all the other visits. I'm going to go to Iowa one more time and tell Kirk Ferentz in person that, hey, I'm all in. That's possible. So, I just don't know. And I don't have any inside information. But I do think, I tweeted this out after the news broke. I do think he probably knows where he's going. I don't, I don't think he needs a 12th or a 13th visit or whatever it is to Iowa City to make that call. I think he knows. So, I think we're going to get an announcement soon. Uh, I don't know that he'll commit on the spot, but I would not be shocked if he's going to Iowa that we hear this weekend. Um, but it may come later. I don't think he's going to wait a lot longer, though. It sounded from his message on Twitter that he wants to get this out of the way prior to the season. So that's sooner than I had originally anticipated. And just to put this in perspective, for anybody wondering, why are, why are we so why are we talking about a, a kid's top two? This is the number one offensive tackle in the country. It would be and I don't think it'd be really even that close. I'd have to look back at rivals rankings and two, four, sevens, all-time rankings. Caden Proctor would be, I think by far the highest rated recruit Iowa's ever gotten in the history of Iowa football. So at least the history of rankings. And I don't think it's that close quite frankly. And so I guess it's, it's fitting that it's Iowa and Alabama, right? In the final two, right? The best program in the country. So it would be huge if Iowa gets him. I texted Marco Linez after he, made the top two. And I said, boy, wouldn't this be something, um, you know, he could kind of end up being the Tristan Wirfs, Tom Brady type relationship. If Linez and Proctor end up coming to Iowa in 23, that'd be, I think if you're Linez, you're, you're especially uh, hopeful that Proctor is, is coming here. Um, but for the most part, I think Hawkeye nation is pretty positive about it right now. Um, but I just hope that Iowa fans realize if he goes somewhere else, if he ends up going to Alabama, that is the nature of the game, and I don't think he's done any disservice to Iowa in keeping Iowa along. He's not stringing them along. I think it's a sign of gratitude, and it's it's still good for Iowa. Like from a, if you're not going to get the kid, it's good that he is known, you know, nationally that hey, he was Iowa was in his final two, so yeah. that's positive. But I think we'll we'll know something. I I would guess in the coming, I think maybe in the coming week. A week or two, I'd be surprised if this goes on to July. Because to your final point, there are all sorts of high five-star kind of guys 
that if there is not an elite program in their backyard, they completely just bypass it and they're suddenly just thrown into the national mix in their final four or five completely discards uh, whatever team is in their backyard. So you want the player on the field, but in regards to trying to spin this positively into other recruiting successes, that can be spun into a positive. Um, it is interesting also because with most of these high-level prospects, you know, there, there is there is some uh, connectivity between a final two, three, four, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, and uh, a player's final three, or Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan, or, you know, whatever the case might be. This There's a disconnect here, just Alabama, Iowa. He's definitely – and another reason why I believe you're correct in saying that he knows where he's going most likely, we're conjecturing, is that these programs are so different in different areas of the country and everything. Yeah. It's just a distinct decision he's making here. He's already been to Alabama. He's been to Iowa like literally 11 or 12 times. So that's that honestly, Mark, that's why I would lean Iowa because of the fact that he canceled the visits and now has scheduled an Iowa visit. I don't know really why you why why do that. That would in a way kind of be like you're stringing Iowa along. Like is he coming just to is he coming at this point just to tell Kirk, "Hey, I'm really sorry. I appreciate everything, but I'm going to go to play for Saban." So I, I would lean towards Proctor's made his decision and it's Iowa, or he's leaning Iowa and he wants one more visit just to solidify that choice. So I I, I don't know, but again, the, the the reason I pause and I'm not all in on that and then I'm not committing, I guarantee he's coming to Iowa, is because of the fact that he just got done with Alabama. And that's when he chose to eliminate the other schools. So I can see it either way, but I'm feeling a lot better now than I was a couple weeks ago. And there were rumors swirling on social media from Cyclone fans that created fake accounts to try to <laughs> troll Iowa fans. Um, and I took the bait, of course, on that. But I, I feel a lot better now than I did at that point. Spark CW. Um, I apologize because I don't recognize your your handle or maybe you switched up your your avatar, your profile picture and that's throwing me off. But obviously you're an ardent supporter of Corey's work, which is phenomenal. But you've also commented uh, here in the last few minutes, number one, that you would like to see a Voice of College Football Discord. And I'm glad that a number of people let you know that we do have a Discord. So you go to Patreon, you search Mark Rogers TV and uh, you sign up there and I get you a link. And basically what you've got Right here in the live chat, you've got 24-7, 365 at the Voice of College Football on Patreon in, in Discord. And then also, look at this. Corey's always pushing me to expand the platform. <laughs> yeah. And this is right in line with it right here. This would be phenomenal, but I don't know how to manage this thing. We need a 24-7 live stream news loop of Voice of College Football. I would need all sorts of bringers out there. Yeah, uh, I I don't know that that would be real practical. Is that the word, Mark? Real yeah, practical that's the word. Um, I will say this. Uh, one other thing too, before we move on, um, I see Erica's comment. I hope X is recruiting Proctor hard. Yeah, and Wampa is. There's no question about that. Uh, I brought up Proctor's size, so we know Cannon Leonard, six foot nine, two sixty five, class of twenty three. 
Yep. Proctor, for anybody that doesn't know this, is listed at six foot eight, three hundred thirty-five pounds. <laughs> I mean, the guy's a mammoth. So, like, my guess is, right for obviously, very rare that you're going to see uh, a freshman tackle start and play. But I think if he comes here, he's probably a starter year one, right, Mark? Do you keep him off the field at six eight, three thirty-five? <laughs> I think he I plays. I think he plays right he away. Plays. So uh, it's it's going. Yeah, not only is it big for Iowa, it's big from a perspective is you're going to probably get him longer. Tristan Wirfs played early, but you may get you may get Proctor in the field day one. So if he's here two years, you may get two full years from Proctor. So I think the fact that he's that even higher, more high, more highly recruited and a better prospect than Wirfs was out of high school would lend me to to think that yeah, he's probably going to get two full years at Iowa before he jumps to the pros, assuming he stays healthy. I wonder how much um, impact this signing would have. I tend to think, and I could be way off on this. This is not something that I've got a strong feel for, that it's kind of isolated. Meaning when, when, when you get one of the best players in the country, sometimes they bring a lot of people with them. Well, remember this. Marco Linez is was a four-star recruit, and for some reason his stock has went down on some websites. I don't quite get that. But that's a foundation mark on offense with Linez and Proctor. That's a really strong foundation. They have struggled. I've said this before in the last couple of weeks. They've struggled at tight end. They lost on Mac Markway. They lost a kid last week to Miami. Running back, they get Raphael. Now you have, that was just last week, now you have potentially Raphael, Proctor, and Linez. Those are three pretty pretty darn good offensive recruits. And yeah, Iowa's had guys. Keegan Johnson was a pretty highly touted kid. Uh, Elijah Yelverton, who never really played a snap at Iowa on offense, um, he was a pretty highly touted tight end. Josiah Miaman, same thing. So they've had some guys that, that haven't worked out. But they. I do think it would give... It, it would make me more positive about their chances of being able to land more skill position guys. Um, because even though the, the offense hasn't been good um, and Iowa does develop well along the offensive line, I think that's, you're, you're certainly going to, it's not going to hurt things from a recruiting standpoint on offense. And I don't know what, I, I don't know enough about Cannon uh, Leonard. Uh, he, they, they just offered him like a day, one day ago before he committed. So, I'll have to do some digging before producing some content on him. Um, but that is an interesting, like I, can we go back to that just before we conclude this show? Mark, sure. what happens if he grows two inches? And I mean that seriously, it's not, it's not a joke. What happens if he grows another inch or two? What do you do with him? Meaning that that's a difficult body type to I mean, do you, When have you ever heard of a six foot 11 tackle at the at the power at the power five division one level i yeah, i don't at some point anatomy yes does <laughs> go into this that you you hear we hear this around nfl draft time that playing offensive tackle as is a number of positions you know there's a lot to body contortion there's a lot to bend and all of that uh, that that uh, you i would tend to switch him over to D end and he can, you know, bat down a million passes. I don't know. And he did play, you know, he's playing defense in high school. So that, that maybe that's what Iowa is thinking, but even six ten, six eleven on defense is ridiculous. Iowa had Anthony Nelson who was pushing six, eight, Matt Nelson was six, seven, six, eight, two, but that would be, 
interesting. But yeah, you're right. Uh, that might be his future if he grows any more than he is now. That might be his future, anyways. I don't know. Like I said, six, seven, or nine just seems huge. But yeah, um, it'll be interesting. Run blocking is my concern there because if you get too tall, yes, um, I don't know how you get down and get leverage. So yeah, yeah. Well, folks, uh, it's been a great show here at the Voice of Cali Football on our Iowa uh, segment each and every week with all of you. And as always the case, we hit the most people right now at the conclusion of the show. So this <laughs> means two things. I know what we've it means. Been, we've been around 40 the entire show, and then we hit 50. Uh, is that, number one, that you need to stick around for just a couple minutes, wait for the video to post. So once we conclude, you can go back and you can watch the entirety. And uh, we had a great conversation with Alec um, Bussey from Rivals uh, Platform for Illinois Athletics to talk uh, Illini football and, of course, uh, a number of Iowa topics as well. And uh, also, number two, that you need to remind yourself next week in any such way that the show starts at 4.30 Central. So be here on time uh, you can join in the live chat, leave your comments and questions um, as we try to build this. And so, folks, uh, bring uh, college football fans into the – this is probably a little bit different of a crowd, I'm guessing, than what you have, Corey, uh, from the Hawkeye of the Storm <laughs> in regards to the the uh, mixture of other fan bases coming in. Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, Erica, I know – I'm just thinking last night. I know Erica was on the show last night with Tony Rassiope. Hawkeye Howard says he just woke up. <laughs> So he's explaining himself to you, Mark. Hawkeye Howard just woke up. He's a truck driver. He just woke up. Okay. Give him a break. Uh, but yeah, no, I appreciate everybody being here. And honestly, Spark CW, I, I don't know if that's a, is that a change? I don't recognize the name. So Spark CW, I appreciate you being here. Uh, I hope you're subscribed to my channel, but I don't recognize your name. And maybe it's because you changed your profile logo. The real Hayden's here. Uh, he's a, he's obviously a, a loyalist. Mike 3383. I know he's on a lot of your stuff and and he heads over to my channel as well. So thank you to everybody for being here. And I don't know if we missed this super chat from Erica, but she reminds everybody to please gently tap that like, but like button go Hawks. So appreciate that from, uh, from Erica. Um, yeah, the Tony Rassiope uh, make one last comment, Mark, the Tony Rassiope interview was insightful. Um, if you're looking to, to kind of find positives in Iowa's quarterback situation, because a lot of fans are, are down on the quarterback situation. I've been down, on Iowa's quarterback play, and I think most people have. Check out the interview with Tony Rassiope. Perhaps he can inspire some fans. Said some really nice things about Spencer Petrus as a person, and he believes that Spencer Petrus is going to take the step forward. I don't know if it'll be if he believes it'll be the Kenny Pickett-like leap, but he thinks it's going to be a, a jump. So is, he, is Tony Rassiope a businessman? Of course he is. Um, I'm not saying that I buy it. I into it hook, line, and sinker, but I do think that he's absolutely genuine, and I believe that he believes that Spencer will take that step, and I think there's reason to think Tony Rassiope is very qualified to be the guy teaching Spencer. He's teaching guys like Kenny Pickett and, and Art Sitkowski and um, guy from Michigan State last year. I can't think of his name, but, I mean, he's, he's very involved. Yeah. He's very involved everywhere, and um, so – Maybe that'll inspire some confidence, but head over to the channel from the Hawkeye of the Storm and uh, check out that uh, that segment with Tony. Yes, well, Kenny Pickett, the offense and the personnel and the approach more than anything on offense is not going to allow Spencer Petras to take that kind of leap to 42 touchdown True. passes and 
4,000 plus yards. But what what is a reasonable expectation of a Spencer Petrus and not just pulling this out of him, but considering everything else that I just mentioned, personnel and approach, 25 touchdowns, 10 picks. Uh, yeah, I mean, that. well, that'd be really good. I mean, but if we're talking about really good in Iowa, that's really good in Iowa system. Yeah, 25 sure. touchdowns, 10 picks. That that's phenomenal. If he can throw, yeah. if he can hit that 60% mark, I think 62, 63 would be ideal. Uh, you know, if he's throwing midway through the season, if he's doubled his, it, well, I don't know that I'd say that because midway through the season, you're talking about also taking into account an FCS game, a game against Nevada, a game against Rutgers. But if he's throwing for, oh, I don't know, midway through the season, I guess if he was at 12 touchdowns, three or four picks, um, and he's 65%, I think that's pretty much going to put a re- put to bed. It should probably put to bed the quarterback debate. But if again, if he's hovering just under 60% and he's, you know, eight touchdowns, six picks, no, the debate needs to continue. That's football. I mean, I, I really appreciate guys like Tony Rassiope, but I, I, that's just how I feel. It, it, they've got four guys. Carson may will be here competing this, this fall as well. And um, it still needs to be an open competition. Spencer has not won the job. I do expect him to be the starter, but he has not, I don't believe unless they, I know something or they know something I don't, he has not won the job, nor do I think he should have won the job. This needs to continue into fall and we need to let fall camp and Carson may needs to have an opportunity. Everybody wants to talk about Labus. I, I know that it's going to be very, very hard for May to even, you know, learn the system that quickly, but he's a four-star recruit. Give him a shot. Cause I was struggled with that position and, uh, and why not? I agree. Everyone, head on over to From the Hawkeye of the Storm if you have yet to do so. Of course, Corey's got great content over there, uh, tremendous interviews that he pulls in uh, as the recruiting unfolds throughout um, the 2023 class. We're about six months away from National Signing Day. And, of course, we are just about a month away from Big Ten Media Days, and we'll roll right into August camp, and we'll be off and running on both of our platforms here, the Voice of College Football, and, again, From the Hawkeye of the Storm. You can join us in about 20, 25 minutes on our Nebraska show uh, over on the Nebraska channel as well. Right, Corey? Appreciate it, Mark. We'll talk. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk next week, maybe talking about a Proctor commitment. That would be phenomenal.